Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. And so, welcome to Keys to the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And of course, this morning's show, we did two hours on Habakkuk. We're in Habakkuk 2, the chapter 2. And we're giving people quite a a, a new look at Habakkuk. And uh, we're showing what should have been shown to you a 100 years ago, maybe 200, 300 years ago. But uh, there has been a concerted effort for at least 500 years to keep you from actually understanding the Bible. Uh, they didn't let you translate it into English. And then when you translate it into English, they executed some of the printers. And uh, they burned lots of the copies. And they executed some of the translators. You know, tore out their tongue and and burned them at stakes and everything. Because they didn't want you to hear what was in the Bible. And finally, they got a lot of guys together that would translate the Bible, but like the one guy who translated the King James said, we did the best we could under the circumstances. Well, the circumstances was that Tyndale had his tongue cut out and was burned at the stake. And uh, they got too, they told you too much about what was there. And they might get into trouble. And because even the, you know, even the kings didn't know it was there until Tyndale started translating it. And Tyndale didn't really know that well until he started translating. It wasn't too bad with the Greek. The Greek's pretty easy, but if you go back into the Hebrew, it can get a little confusing. And we went over a lot of that this morning. Why the Hebrew is so confusing? Well, the, almost no other language is quite like Hebrew. I, I would... I would venture to say, I mean, if you go back to Sanskrit, but almost nobody knows Sanskrit either, uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty unusual language. I mean, there's some Chinese, Japanese, uh, languages because they, they deal with, you know, like 400 characters, and the characters are actually lines of drawings, and then they, you know, like they, they have a picture of a building, and that's a building, and then you add a little stroke, and it's a house, and another stroke, and it's a barn, and another stroke, it's a temple. And uh, that's the way they, you know, they write their words. And, and somebody who can read Japanese can maybe read Chinese, but they can't speak each other's language because there is no phonetic pronunciation key between the two. There really is no pronunciation key for Hebrew either, although it does have an alphabet, an alphabet. And that alphabet has lots of letters, but every letter has a meaning, and they put the different letters together to form the idea of the word. That's not like uh, Greek. It's not like English. Now, Greek does take a couple different words, and they'll put them together and form a, another idea, another word, based on the use of two or three other words. But the idea of adding letters, just letters, and that letters are actually composed of letters, which means letters are composed of ideas, that it is it is a most phenomenal language. It was never meant to be spoken. It was meant to be written. It is a written language. That's why, you know, I say Chinese and Japanese aren't written to be spoken. They have a spoken language, but it's completely independent of the written language. You, you learn Japanese, you learn Chinese, and then you learn to write it. Or you don't learn to write it and then learn the language. Because there's no way to make that transition from one language written to the language spoken. Now, they kind of do that because Hebrew is made out of an alphabet, but it doesn't really work out uh, <laughs> like that. So, if if we looked at a word like uh, mammon, which is going to be the topic today, we may go over a little bit of Habakkuk and bring in a lot of other texts because of the fact that uh, uh, all these... Uh, once you begin to understand... 
what the Bible's really about, you begin to understand all kinds of things about the Bible. And it starts fitting together in ways you can't hardly even imagine. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's just all one book. Now a lot of people will say that, oh, it, well, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not. You know, and, and it's got flaws and it's, uh, you know, that contradicts itself. And it doesn't really. I mean, there are certain places where the translations certainly seem to contradict themselves, but it doesn't really. Not significantly to make any difference. What contradicts the Bible is the modern teachings about the Bible. And so if you looked up the word mammon, which in the Greek is mammonas, uh, that, uh, that word isn't found in the Hebrew text. Uh, so what, what would you, what Hebrew word might, uh, be associated with mammon in the, in the true meaning of mammon as it was used? Mammon was kind of an Aramaic word. Uh, well, at least it had Aramaic origins. And, uh, it, it meant, it actually meant trust or confidence. And it really was about creating a trust. And it required a certain amount of competence in order to create that trust. But it was uh, wealth put into trust. And when, and that's the way that it's used in Luke and Matthew, that it is this uh, wealth put into a trust. And, you know, they talk about true trust of riches. And, 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 and basically, there's only a few places. Matthew, it only shows up once. And, and Matthew, it's 624. And can, can man serve two masters? For either he will hate the one or love the other. Or else he will hold to one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. So, mammon has a master. Uh, some people say that mammon just means money and money will become your master, etc., etc. But that doesn't really fit. And it doesn't fit the context if you read all of Matthew. And, and look at the context of Matthew and why this whole word uh, of mammon even comes up. Because if you read in uh, you know, Luke 16 11, if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit your trust to the true riches? So this unrighteous mammon, if there's an unrighteous mammon, there must be a righteous mammon, right? Uh, where, and and the, the righteous mammon is the true riches. Well, in the kingdom of God, where's the true riches? It's, it says that not to, you know, Jesus talks about not... You know, putting a treasure up in a, you know, like a treasury where thieves and robbers can, uh, robbers can break in and steal it. And, but to rather invest in the kingdom of God. And what's the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is this network of faith, hope, and charity where the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands and just start taking care of one another as if they cared about others as much as they cared about themselves. All the governments of the world, what they do is they entrust wealth that they collect through taxation, through what they call tribute or taxation. And they put money in a treasury, and they call a treasury Corbin or Gastaphone in the Greek, uh, Corbin in the Hebrew, and that's entrusted wealth. Like the golden statues of the Greek city-states were entrusted wealth. They were called the reserve fund. And they were put in there, and they were put in a statue so that you could tell if something was missing. If you just put it in big trunks and vaults, somebody would have to go in there and count the coins every day to make sure that somebody wasn't robbing it. And, of course, often people did rob it. So, in 16.9, we see, And I say unto thee, Make for yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations. The mammon of righteousness is evidently going to fail. 
And and what that is, of course, is what Christ said. Thieves and robbers are going to break in, and moths are going to eat it up. And it, it, you know, if you put it in a big golden statue, somebody's going to come and conquer you and take the statue away. Say, but say, well, you didn't put it in a statue, yeah, because the graven image thing. Oh no, no, that doesn't have anything. No, let's 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 put it in Fort Knox. It'll be safe there, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, all the gold that they collected back in 1913, and especially in 1930s and 33, all that gold is still there in Fort Knox, right? It's still there, safe, right? No, it's not. And so, this is, and the golden statues that they set up in the city-states, it's not there, and the golden calf, which was a reserve bank, and then it's used to bind people together. But it's not. So the unrighteous mammon is this trust. It's actually, you could say, almost the Corbin of the Pharisees. You know, if you go and uh, read Matthew in greater detail, uh, you could go back to 6.19. And uh, it says, Lay not up yourself treasure upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Isn't that what I was just saying? But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where the thieves do not break in through the, nor do steal. So, this is what he's talking about. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he's talking about that and then eventually he gets into Matthew 24 and talks about this serving two masters and the unrighteous mammon. And this is, you know, he, thine eyes be evil. Why thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? See, that's what he says back in verse 23. And, he, and in verse 22, the light of the body is in the eyes, and therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But he, he talks about us sitting in darkness when he came. And here he's talking about this great darkness. And he's talking about mammon. And he's talking about treasuries where thieves and robbers can break in. It's all the same subject. He's talking about the same thing. Yeah, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Yeah, you you can't do that. You there is no tricking it. If you go down to verse thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So you know it's the old lilies of the field thing. So that. All the way to verse 34, he's, he's talking about the same thing. And that's what this mammon of unrighteousness is. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is seeking to live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. And to take care of one another through charity. But the unrighteous mammon is to set up a safety net like FDR and LBJ, which we went over a little bit this morning, and we we go back to that. But this was what was happening at the time of Habakkuk, as that and, and people were collecting what they needed to provide that social safety net by violence, by force, and of course, what happens is you get rulers who can exercise more and more authority. Now, by the time Habakkuk come along, they already had kings and a series of corrupt kings. But they were told way back in First Samuel that if you decide to have a king who can exercise authority, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I'm not going to hear you. And right away, Saul, when he was getting ready for the Philistines, he needed to force an offering. He took. He forced the people to contribute. And people say, well, if we don't do that, uh, well, you know. Well, 
If you do do that, your kingdom will not stand. It will become corrupted like Saul. It's the Saul syndrome. It's, it's corrupted like Cain, corrupted like Nimrod. And you will have injustice. Also, the people will be weakened. So people have a hard time getting this, but this is the basic of this idea of mammon. Calling no man on earth father, because the father is the one who's usually in charge of the mammon. The, the entrusted wealth. You know, the father of the state is when the, or, or the benefactor who exercises authority. They call them that too. The, the, or they call themselves benefactors who exercise authority. All this is the same thing. It's a common thing. And of course, John the Baptist said, no, the way you do it is that if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, you share, you do the same in meats. If you go to Proverbs, you're supposed to put a knife to your throat if you, rather than sit at the table and eat with rulers because they serve deceitful meats, of which, of course, Paul says, will, uh, and Peter says, will make you merchandise. Paul says not to do it. Jesus says not to do it. John the Baptist says not to do it. James even talks about, by their works you'll know them, and talks about not being covetous. All through the Bible, you're not to covet your neighbor's goods. Go back to Exodus. Go back to Deuteronomy. You, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Unless, of course, you want to have public school. Unless, of course, you want to have Social Security. Unless, of course, you want to have a police department. Unless, of course, you want to have all these free things from government. Then you get to covet your neighbor's good. I don't see that as a subclause to the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I don't see anywhere where Paul says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as for a good cause. Any more than Samuel said when Saul forced a sacrifice, he said, your kingdom will not stand. And he says, but it's for a good cause. And Samuel said, oh, oh well, I guess if it's for a good cause. No, you're not supposed to do it. It changes you changes your relationship with your neighbor and it certainly changes your relationship with God. You're not living by faith, hope, and charity. You're not living by faith at all. You're living by force, by that violence. And this this is the no-brainer that everybody should get. And this is what they talk about over and over and over again in the Bible. But people don't get it. Why don't they get it? Why don't they see it? Why don't they understand it? Why can't they get it into their head? Well, because of cognitive dissonance. They're now able to hold two ideas that contradict each other in their mind at the same time, think they're conforming to both, but they're not. This is how you end up in that darkness that he was talking about. That's how you put out the light. In order to have that cognitive dissonance, which I have a page on that, and I've added to that just in the last week, the cognitive dissonance is having two contradictory ideas in your mind at the same time that as if you agree with both. And what that requires is that your mind kind of has to look at this idea and look at that idea and skip some aspect of the character of one or both of those ideas. You have to deny it in order to get them both to fit in your mind as if you can agree with both at the same time. You can't do that without creating this conflict in your mind. As soon as you create that conflict in your mind... Some part of the information in your mind, the ideas and concepts in your mind, are rejected by you. You will not look at them. You will not see. You can look at them, but you won't see them. And that conflict will lead to anxiety. It will lead to depression. It will lead to PTSD. It will lead to OCD. It will lead to all kinds of disorders. Because you have chosen to sit in darkness because you want to hold two ideas that are contradictory in your mind at the same time as if you believed both of them. 
And of course, that's a lie. But that's what they said, that you would believe a lie. That's the lie. You say, I believe in Jesus. I just don't want to do what he says to do. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have fellowship in my heart with Jesus. I just don't want to do what he says to do. I want to do what he said not to do. That's conflicting ideas. But you have to kind of look at the teachings of Jesus like, you know, don't be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You're not to be that way, he says. But you say, your preacher says, Billy Graham says, it's okay, you can be that way. You just have to say you believe in Jesus. With your actions, you can say, I don't really believe in Jesus. But with your mouth, with a lying tongue, you can say, I believe in Jesus. Now, I'm, I want to be fair here. I know a lot of you see this characteristic of Jesus, and that teaching of Jesus, and you, and you love those things. And you want to accept that Jesus on those terms. But you have to accept Jesus on his terms. The whole Jesus. If you throw out part of the Jesus, it ain't Jesus no more. And you don't really believe in Jesus. You believe in an image of Jesus that you created in your own mind. So if you go to Preparing You at PreparingYou.com Preparing You, Y-O-U Preparing Y-O-U, all one word, dot com and you look up Mammon you'll come to a page that shows somebody at the foot of a giant. Almost looks like a golden giant. Maybe he's just well tanned. And he's holding out money, gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And you, you're, you're wanting those benefits. And you serve he who gives you those benefits. And he's your master. But you can't serve two masters. You will serve, love the one and despise the other but people are trying to do it and want to believe that they believe well what happens is it darkens their eyes so they can't see things like what was the what was in the news just before um, I went on the air they've now approved the new jab you know the the mRNA jabs and whatever all they are they just approved them for children down to five years of age Wow, I didn't know children were getting coronavirus. I said one in a million children would get coronavirus. I also know that, you know, as of this weekend, uh, VAERS, Open VAERS, says 18,000 people have died after immediately after taking the vaccination. Now, we know other people are, are dying and have myocarditis, uh, sometimes weeks, even months after they have the vaccination. But there is a plague of myocarditis, a real pandemic of myocarditis amongst the vaccinated, especially young vaccinated. Now, it may also be occurring amongst the old, but somebody would have to do autopsies to determine why did this guy suddenly who had no heart trouble suddenly have heart trouble? Why did this young athlete suddenly have heart trouble and he didn't have any heart trouble before. Now, it could be all kinds of things. But they do. Many of these heart people are having trouble. They have one thing in common. They've all been vaccinated. And, of course, Dr. Suzuki and other doctors at, uh, at uh, major universities, major scientists who have done hundreds of autopsies said that this was going to be a major problem with vaccinations. So they recommended that before anybody starts using these vaccinations, they have extensive long-term animal trials. Well, they're having animal trials, but you're the animal. <laughs> so, But if they were really having animal trials and you were the animal, those people that appear, those 18,000 people that they say, they somebody filled out the form and said that they died, they should have 18,000 autopsies on file. To find out what, what, what did they die of? Why did they suddenly die? Within two or three days, most of the time, of getting the shot. 18,000. That's, that's way more. And, and, you know, estimates are, the open bears, 
is maybe only 1% of the actual deaths. Could be 10% of the actual deaths, but two studies said it's more likely 1% of the actual deaths are counted. So 18,000 suddenly becomes 1.8 million. 1.8 million dead. Now, you're going to give it to small children. And much more likely to have myocarditis, much more likely to have adverse reaction, because there's there's hundreds of thousands other adverse reactions. But they want to, you know, people are running down, running down to get their five-year-olds vaccinated. Other people are running the other direction. And the ones who don't want to get the vaccination, the media is saying those are wicked, evil people. They're the new Jews. They're, I mean, they've actually recommended, well, green passports and then yellow armbands if you're unvaccinated. Wow. Wow. People have to really sit in darkness. Where does that darkness come from? Where does such confusion come from? And if you don't have that delusion or that confusion that somehow or other, because they know the science says, CDC admits it and everything, if you look at the actual reports, that even though you get the vaccine, you can still get it. You can still uh, produce it, replicate it, and you can still spread it. You just might not have as severe symptoms. But if you're five years old, chances are you won't even know you got it. It, it. it kills less people than the flu. And it doesn't stop deaths. And then now we're seeing that the 95% efficacy is dropping down to the 30s. And we're seeing other problems rise up, which they should be monitoring closely. But nobody seems to be monitoring. As a matter of fact... You, you get a hold of the health authorities and you want to know how many of the people that are in the hospital are actually got at least one of the vaccines. Because they say, well, no, they're, they're unvaccinated people. But they're categorizing unvaccinated as not having both jabs and the booster and in some places the second booster. So that person is unvaccinated. But they're in the hospital. And they're sick as a dog. And they're dying. But they are actually at least one vaccinated, sometimes two vaccines, but just not the booster. Or maybe they had two vaccines, but they only had the second one a week ago. So they're considered unvaccinated. It's just crazy. It's insane. And no, and if you even ask the question, they cancel you. They, they, they hamstring your ability to communicate with others. They want as many people to get this as possible. Even though top scientists are predicting that people who get it, many of them will be dying within two or three years. Maybe some will take ten years. But it will it will collapse. I mean, even the Japanese study that we quote, we actually quote and give you links to the study itself, say, talking about total immunity collapse, com- immunization collapse. So anyway... What is mammon? Well, you know, it's an Aramaic word uh, from mammon, meaning wealth. And uh, this wealth uh, is is put into trust. It's probably derived from maomon, something entrusted to safekeeping. And in any case, there was apparently a threefold play on this meaning in Luke uh, 16.2. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Well, this true riches is a social safety net that takes care of you. And if if you go back to Habakkuk, they talk about the whole world because of this violence, that all the people will be caught up in this net. And... David says what should have been for your welfare, and Paul repeats it, has become a snare, a net, they say. And Peter says you'll be made merchandise and curse your children as surety for debt with these systems of social welfare, these safety nets. That's, I mean, this is the theme all through the Bible, from the Ten Commandments on. Even Abraham would not take even a buckle 
from the king. He wouldn't take the people either. He, he freed the people. Just like Jesus freed the people. Like Moses freed the people. Wasn't going to exercise authority one over the other. Like Gideon, I and my family will not rule over you. But you think today that it's okay to rule over my neighbor as long as I do it through government who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Now, some scholars don't agree with the etymology of this word. But I quote sources so you can see the Semitic root of the word. Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, there is no evidence that the word mammon is the name of an angel or of God, as we see in Milton's Paradise Lost. Uh, Gregory of uh, Nyssa also asserted that mammon was another name for Beelzebub. Well, it could be another name for Baal because Baal and Babylon and the Nicolaitan are all conquered people because they desire the wages of unrighteousness. In other words, the benefits of unrighteousness. They wanted the, the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of Caesars and Pharaohs and FDRs and LBJs. And so then they become... Human resources. They even call them human resources. And they must bow down and serve. Serve more than they had to serve when they were in Egypt. They only had to get 20% in Egypt. Some say mammon means riches only. Just any kind of riches. But others say it is the wealth which you entrust. And of course, that's why I go back to the origin of the word mammon according to the encyclopedia and and other sources, that it, it means entrusted wealth. It is specifically entrusted wealth. And it's a trust that will fail. If this mammon is entrusted wealth, which usually means some sort of treasury, then a righteous or unrighteous mammon must refer to the way that wealth or that treasury is collected. Is it collected by free will offerings or by force? Like Saul, like Nimrod, like Cain, uh, like the Pharaoh, like FDR, like LBJ, like Obama, like Trump. Now you think Trump is good because he doesn't want to collect as much. But he did. But, but he did it for a good cause. You know, he collected a lot for the military. and built up the military. And you say, well, that's really important. Saul said it was important too. But Samuel said he was foolish for doing it. But if, I guess if Trump does it, then it's okay. Why? Because you've already become accustomed to accepting the idea that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Or your protection. Or your social security. It's not. It's going to alter you. It's going to alter the way you think. It's going to alter the way you see. You're going to end up sitting in darkness. And you're not going to see the true dangers. You're not going to see the Chaldeans coming. You'll not, you, you won't see people, you know, all the other things. Now, if you see some of the other things that we've been telling you about. And you say, well, yeah, that makes sense. I like that, but I don't like this, you know, like, uh, what about my Social Security? It's going to fail anyway. And I'm not saying don't collect it. I'm not saying don't pay into it. Neither did Jesus. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the kingdom of God will provide you with a Social Security through faith, hope, and charity. It's not a retirement program, but nobody's going to let you starve. But it operates by love. See, it used to be if you lost your job, you went to church. If you fell off a ladder and broke your back, you sent somebody to church to tell them so that somebody would come and help you out. If your husband died, your neighbors at church would take care of the widows and orphans. We even called it pure religion. But it was only pure religion if it was unspotted by the world. And the word they use there for world is constitutional order or system of government. Your husband didn't die. You're still using 
the constitutional order and system of government to teach your kids, to make sure that the police come, to you're doing all all kinds of stuff. Now, I'm not saying get rid of government entirely. I'm saying get rid of your need for government by becoming a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And then, so help me, God will help you. You know, so I was, I, I mentioned in, in the article, I mentioned the Gestafulakion, which is translated treasury five times in the New Testament. And it's a repository of a treasury, especially a public treasury. Uh, treasury, uh, it is used uh, to describe the apartment constructed in the courts of the temple in which the not only the sacred offerings and things needful for the service were kept, but in which the priests, etc., dwell. And like I told you before, the priests at that particular time of Christ, they were living in more opulent quarters than even King Herod because they were collecting a lot of moolah, a lot of dough. Manta Adar was the time which they collected it, and it came into the temple by way of the money changers. They were the porters of the temple. They weren't actually just selling doves and stuff. I know people think that that's what they were doing, and there's a reason for that. And some of it is in the original Greek, because there are some words that, you know, can be mistranslated. And I'm not... I'm not saying you have to take my word that some things were mistranslated. I'm not going to try to convince you that way. I'm just saying, because, you know, if I go down that road, we'll say, then they'll argue, because it's ambiguous. We're not sure what the deal is. You know, but like sitting on the seats on the left side, the, there was a, a guy who was uh, refusing to sign up for the welfare system of the temple. This is like a hundred and... 20 A.D., I think it was. And uh, he refused, and he said he refused again. He was a bishop. And somebody went up and stabbed him in the chest. And the way they translated it, they said, and a dove flew out of his chest. Well, the it's very possible that what they meant was, by the way it's written, if you go and look at the text, that they stabbed him on the left side of his chest. That's actually what I think that they were saying. And because the words are almost identical. It's very easy to misinterpret those two words if you, you know, the word for left side and dove. And we know that Jesus was talking to them, but what it was was they were selling the seats on the left side. Jesus was sitting on the left side deciding what was a legitimate contribution and what goes here and what goes there. And he gives a whole speech at the time he's doing this. Because he's the king. He's he's actually in the treasury. According to the text, he's in the treasury instructing the ministers of the treasury. How did he get in there, this itinerary preacher? Because he's the king. He was just heralded as the king, hailed as the king. They didn't like it. Other people liked it. But, so he's sitting on the left side, and what had happened is that these are very lucrative positions because you get this clip. You get you get a portion of the silver that is donated in the month of Adar, which would be like our month of April. You 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 make bigger bucks if you get them to give more. <laughs> the more you get them to give, you're going to... So, People would buy those offices. They would bribe the high priest. We'll give you a huge cut if you let us have this office of porter of the temple. And so that that would mean that as the porter of the temple, they would be on the left side. Okay. So... What's the deal? Jesus comes along with a string whip and he's firing the porters of the temple, the money changers. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. They're not going to get their clip. They're not, they, they figured they were going to, 
that that month alone, they were going to collect $90 million in silver. It'd be more today in silver because silver's up. And they got fired because there's two people since King David who could fire the porters of the temple. High priest, which at that time was one of the sons of Ananias. Or, you know, and Caiaphas was not a son of Ananias, but he was the son-in-law of Ananias. So, he may have been high priest at that point. Or he may was about to become the high priest. He was the high priest at the time of the trial. But this is a little bit before the trial. But he was probably the high priest. But he could have fired the money changers. But if he didn't fire the money changers, the king could fire the money changers. Been that way since David. So, what's the deal? You know, why is Jesus, you know, in Matthew 27, 6, he says, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. That was back with, and I mentioned this this morning in the, Habakkuk. You, everybody should go and listen to Nahum and Amos and all these things, but we're putting more and more together. I have to go through this whole article on Mammon and really beef it up. But, I mean, you should be able to figure it out. But the word they're talking about there is Corbin. The Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. So, according to Matthew 27, 6, the treasury other Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. And we see that in Mark 7.11. That they're talking about the same thing. And I said, but ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, it is treasury, it is the treasury, that is to say a gift from the treasury, by whosoever thou mightst be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, I don't have to give to my parents because Social Security is going to give to them. I'm free. I don't have to honor my father or my mother. Now, you know, I should stray from this even though I'm I'm in Mammon, but maybe I'll make it two shows. And, you know, one of the things is you know, Social Security is not really the trust. But it's part of the trust. Because the real trust is the Federal Reserve Act. Of December 22, 1913. And Congressman Charles A. Lindbergh Sr. Related to the Lindbergh, the, the pilot. Uh, he said that this would create the largest trust in the history of the world. Uh, I'll give you the exact quote. He says that most gigantic trust on earth was to be and is now established, constructed in a very interesting way, involved the entrusting of almost all the wealth, property, and rights of man granted to him by God into a worldwide trust. It was a process not limited to the money system. Not limited to the money system. But it is that system that is focused on in these pages. And that that's actually I have my quote and his quote. <laughs> uh, from the book Covenants of the Gods, chapter Money versus Mammon. Because it's it's not just the money system. It's it's uh, it's your labor. You see, when they ran out of uh, federal property and federal gold to back the loans from the Federal Reserve System to get the economy going. They got the people to sign up as a surety for the debt. And that's what Social Security is all about in 1933. So, but Lemberg understood that way back. 
he understood how that was going to be. His actual words, I didn't read the first part of this, uh, is the Federal Reserve Act established the most gigantic trust on earth. When the president signs this bill, the invisible government by the money powers will be legalized. The people may not know it immediately, but the day of reckoning is only a few years removed. The trust will soon realize that they have gone too far, even for their own good. The people must make a declaration of independence to relieve themselves from the money powers. Well, that that's way back. You know, we're going back to that December 22nd, you know, just before Christmas, Merry Christmas, in 1913. He said only a few years away, well... 1913 to 1933. 20 years. It's almost like they were timing it. <laughs> and at the end of that 30 years, presto bingo, uh, they come up with Social Security. And Social Security, you waived a right to a portion of your labor. They get to decide what that portion is. It's nothing to do with benefits. It has to do with becoming a surety for debt. And then you went down and got a number for your kids and they became a surety for debt. This is the same thing they were talking about in Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. You don't live by faith. Romans 1.17 For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, and the just shall live by faith. Same thing in Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. You've gone back into the yoke of bondage. You've re-entered Egypt under FDR. And it has grown greater under LBJ and Obama and even Trump. And now with the, the new trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars in debt. And guess what? If they kill off a third of the population through manufactured pandemics, everybody that dies, your debt goes up. Because <laughs> you become responsible for a greater and greater debt. But Habakkuk says that he's going to work a great wonder that nobody will hardly believe. But we're not done with Habakkuk. We'll have to do the rest of Habakkuk next week. Hopefully we'll get to the rest of Habakkuk. So... Where does this all put us? What What is this all going on? What What is actually happening? Uh, I was looking for a particular... Ah, I, I actually emailed it to myself. I took some notes during a program. I don't know if I'll even have time for it. But maybe I'll touch on it. We're not going to get through Mammon. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a long chapter. I mean, there's... Uh, the deeds of the Nicolaitan. That's how you got into this mammon. God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitan. Having a power in the world. Is a laborer worthy of his hire? Someone responded with. That bondage is an opportunity to repent. Magistrates may be false gods. I just have all these different sections. That will tell you more and more about it. Uh, well, now we only have a few minutes left. Because... Uh, I don't know if my clock is right on my phone, but I think it is. Uh, do you believe that good and evil exist? The answer to the question separates Judeo-Christian values from the secular values. Let me offer this clearest possible example. Murder. If murder is wrong, is it evil? Nearly everyone would answer yes. But now I'll pose a much harder question. How do you know? Well, he rationalized the only way you know is they gave you the Ten Commandments. And this is Prager. Dennis Prager said this. And there's a lot more to this because there's a whole talk. And then there was an interview and I put all this information down. And maybe we'll go over that in another show when I have more time to get ready. I just ran. I literally ran off the desert to get here on time. And then something happened at the station where I couldn't log in all the way. But uh, 
Yeah, you can tell. And why? Because when you study the Hebrew language, you begin to understand there's this gimel, this cause and effect that is built into the universe. When you study science, you realize there's this cause and effect. You realize the judgment of God, that God is built into the system. It's predestined in the system. If you choose to go that way, your choice is still yours. Because it can be no love without choice. But once you choose to go a certain way, it's built in. It's automatically projected into the system, cause and effect. If you judge that it's okay to murder somebody else, then it's okay to murder you. As you judge, so shall you be judged, cause and effect. If you judge that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, then it's okay your neighbor covet your good. If it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can get a benefit, it's okay that your neighbor bites you so that he can get a benefit. You are the creator of the law. For you. Not the whole law, but the legal system in which the law exists. If you judge that it's okay... To commit adultery, to cheat on your spouse, then it's okay if your spouse cheats on you. They may cheat on you in different ways. Now, it may not be okay with God, but you you can't complain. You can go, if if you think it's okay that you give power to a king, Saul, or FDR, to take from your neighbor, to give you... The rewards of unrighteousness, the rewards based on force, then it's okay that others force you. It's cause and effect. It's built into the system. So, yeah, if you want to murder, figure on getting murdered. If you want to turn your back on your neighbor, expect your neighbor to turn his back on you. So, anyway, we're running out of time. and uh, But I, I hope everybody joins the network. See me on the network and see if we can't uh, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For some reason, it's not letting me get back to the page. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> so I can do the outro. Anyway, thanks for coming. Join the network. God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.